Welcome to the Defense and Aerospace Reports Weekly Cyber Report, sponsored by Fortress Information Security. I'm your host, Vago Maradian, and joining us today is Andrea Schaumann, the Director of Federal Programs and Partnerships at Fortress. Andrea, welcome back to the program. It's always great having you on. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here. Uh, we are excited to have you on. Uh, before we get started, our daily coverage is sponsored by Bell. Our global coverage is sponsored by Leonardo DRS. Fortress Information Security sponsors our weekly cyber report, and Northrop Grumman supports our cyber coverage overall. General Atomics Aeronautical Systems sponsors our strategy coverage, ultra intelligence and communications sponsors our command and control coverage, and our coverage of the Association of the United States Army's annual meeting was sponsored by Safran and Leonardo DRS. And our coverage of the recent Halifax International Security Forum was sponsored by Leonardo DRS and General Atomics Aeronautical Systems. Uh, Andrea, great to have you back on. Uh, while uh, America uh, will be having a very pleasant and relaxing Thanksgiving, uh, thousands and, and indeed uh, tens of thousands across the country and around the world are going to be preparing for the world's uh, largest training and simulation conference and indeed one of the largest um, you know, electronics uh, conferences uh, on the planet. It's sec uh, that it, you have a home field advantage on in or, uh, sunny Orlando, Florida. Uh, and cybersecurity is, as we've discussed, and, and you've joined us a couple of times to talk about uh, the training and simulation ecosystem, which is very vibrant in, in that area, how important cybersecurity is uh, to uh, that enterprise, especially as we transition to these ever more complex virtual synthetic, uh, virtual training environments in which highly classified work uh, is taking place. What are going to be the big cyber issues that you're going to be tracking as we head into ITSEC? Uh, well, that's a really great question. So the cyber issues that we're tracking are are exactly alike uh, to the real world environment. So um, leveraging the value of investments, you know, while keeping up with the rapidly changing landscape, whether that's the need to deliver really diverse and cutting edge training systems, or satisfying the regulatory environment, making sure that the cyber hygiene controls are up to you know, passing muster and they're providing a safe training environment and ecosystem um, that doesn't present vulnerabilities and, and become quickly become the next battle space. Um, so you know, evaluation and protection of both legacy systems and new acquisitions. So of course we know that they're constantly trying to update and modify existing trainers, maybe previously disconnected trainers are now coming online and becoming a part of an integrated training system through programs like live virtual and constructive training. Um, but then there's also the evaluation of new acquisitions, right? So going through that procurement process and having this the strength and ability to vet vendors ahead of the purchase so that by the time, um, you know, an RFP or, or a demand signal comes through, they have a safe list of, of vendors and assets and, and those sorts of things to, to pull from. Training like cyber uh... Andrea is often seen as as an afterthought, right? Uh, to buying new stuff, are cyber and training folks actually closer kindred spirits uh, than other uh, fields? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, the training environment, you know, the S and T culture is the heart of innovation for the DoD, and they want to train in a high fidelity arena so that way, when the folks get out into the real world, they know exactly what to do, they know exactly how to behave. Um, and they've practiced it, right? It, it just becomes muscle memory and, and they're very aware of where the dangers are. And cyber is exactly the same. You know, you want to go through exercises like cyber tabletopping so that you have a very keen and um, acute understanding of exactly what the environment looks like, where the vulnerabilities exist and how to quickly get in and remediate 
an issue if you have one. And, you know, you want to train the way you perform. And so cyber is exactly the same way. One of the uh, questions that uh, that comes up, right? I mean, one of the greatest thing about distributed training is you can train anywhere you are in the planet. Um, that's not necessarily new. Three decades ago uh, and more, the Army's SimNet system was linking people around the world. The Navy does this regularly as a matter of course. The Air Force uh, can connect simulators no matter where they are and and uh, get into a virtual space. But the question is how you defend that, right? And some folks have been saying, well, you know, when you do your highly, the most highly classified work, you know, you have to have it completely uh, disconnected uh, from uh, the rest uh, of the planet. I know we have cyber ranges, for example, where you may not want an offensive capability escaping into the wild, right. <laughs> for lack of a better, for right. lack of a better. Uh, excuse. What's the right um, approach to be securing this sort of distributed space and a distributed space that's actually growing by leaps and bounds, right? So that's enabled by the technology. And then all of a sudden with each one of these touch points is opportunity, but also vulnerability. Uh, that's exactly it. And I'm really glad that you brought up uh, the Navy's live virtual and constructive program, because that's where I got my start in, in work with the DOD um, quite a few years ago. I'm not going to date myself by saying when, um, but I had the opportunity to work on the LVC platform and program. And so I understand, you know, that distributed training model and that integrated system of of the live virtual and constructed entities and it hinges on technology and you you do have real risk and real lives at stake because it's not all existing within a simulator um, so you know you've got software that's particularly important when evaluating previously disconnected systems that are now part of a connected system and then device and data link security are always going to be the critical components of these um, multi-tiered uh, S&T environments. So when you have the, the connected systems, like you said, distributed training systems where they have folks all over the world who are participating in one training revolution, making sure that you have the security of that data that's moving through that ecosystem is, is critical. Um, this year, uh, obviously, the focus is going to be on the U.S. Air Force. Uh, Secretary Frank Kendall uh, is going to be down there along with uh, the chief, uh, General CQ uh, Brown. What do you expect? Uh, and, you know, sort of give us a sense on the Air Force flavor, the Air Force focus uh, this year and what the service is doing. Because uh, as much as we can laud the other services, the Air Force has prided itself on being a little bit earlier into the cyber train uh, than a lot of the other services in terms of sort of building that cadre and that capability a little bit earlier than its sister services. Yeah, that's right. The Air Force has been very innovative in their approach to cyber. And, um, you know, it's no surprise that the ITSIC theme this year is accelerating change by transforming training. So it's not just about transforming the training uh, criteria or, or the training materials, but also the development of training tools and an enhanced modality of delivery, um, and then hardening the environment to protect the data, right? Because then in turn, right. they're protecting the warfighter being trained within that system. So it's not just about rapid deployment of technology, although that's going to exist in this space, but it's also going to be about safe deployment of the training materials and how they can make sure that they're evaluating all of the critical components and systems that are part of their very complex uh, training ecosystem. And all of the branches are meeting, you know, that same level of scrutiny now within their training system. I don't, I don't, I don't know that it's an afterthought anymore in the way that we maybe could have said that a decade ago. Uh, that uh, takes me to uh, both uh, software and har hardware uh, bills of origin and materials, uh, S-bombs and H-bombs, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, now are becoming, uh, you know, once was a rarity, uh, Andrea, right? Uh, whereas folks like you were talking about it, whereas now people bandy that around, uh, which is a good thing, right? Because it's it's sort of getting more into 
the vernacular as opposed to just being something that the cyber high priests would intone uh, <laughs> and, and, and regular people would look at him like vacantly, like I have no idea what you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, um, uh, first walk us through on the software side of things, right? And, and where we stand, the administration has a very big focus on implementing uh, S-bombs and H-bombs uh, across the defense enterprise. Walk us through what that means in the training and simulation world, because like every other part of society, we have not necessarily the newest hardware, not necessarily the newest software, and yet each one of them contain their vulnerabilities. Start us off on the software side. Sure, and and we're proud that we're on the bleeding edge of that technology, right? So um, just in the same way that Coca-Cola isn't necessarily gonna disclose all of the ingredients in their secret formula, software vendors are equally protective over their intellectual property. And so, you know, we're walking that line with them um, in reverse engineering software in order to keep the, the software um, vendor deployments and patches and updates and things to keep those safe and verify that what's in the software packages that are deployed is what's supposed to be there. Um, but at the same time, making sure that intellectual property of the software vendors is protected. Um, so, you know, we don't want to expose any of that. And you mentioned, you know, the way that HBOM and SBOM are now common terms and people are using them in a way that they haven't in the past. And I think breaking down that codified language, it also breaks down the barriers. And so you no longer have um, these, you know, like you said, sort of the, the high folks with cyber who really understood and very few other people understood what they were talking about. Now you've got this really strong culture of innovation and, and you have a lot of players in both the public and private space who are creating partnerships uh, to support this very broad S&T environment. Um, so it's, it's this very innovative and active space um, where people are really excited about the different solutions as opposed to just being reactive. And, and on, the, on the hardware uh, side of things, right? Because each one is a distinct challenge in its own right, and especially in the training and simulation field, right, in, in part because, you know, you do occasionally embrace somewhat more commercial uh, approaches and commercial technologies. Is, is the hardware challenge more or less different? Uh, the hardware point? challenge, yeah, the hardware challenge is different. Um, it's certainly not more or less. Um, and the hardware challenge is complex in a different way. So you do have a lot of training systems uh, like software, um, that are deployed on commercial off-the-shelf solutions. Um, so using uh, commercial off-the-shelf computer pro uh, components and products and things like that, or things, training solutions that are deployed across an iPad or, or something along those lines. Right. And so the security of those COTS products, the commercial off-the-shelf products, is really coming under scrutiny in a way that it hasn't in the past. Um, right. I, you know, we've talked before about how I hate to assume anything, um, but there was always this assumption. You know what happens of, when you assume. <laughs> right, exactly. <Sorry. laughs> um, but there was always this assumption of safety. If something was, you know, GSA approved or approved for purchase within the government sphere, then it was assumed to be a safe purchase. And something that can be safely used in one environment does not necessarily mean that it can be safely deployed in a training environment. So it's really important. And uh, the stakeholders are, are taking a, um, a keen eye on those things and putting them right in the crosshairs. So we are evaluating commercial off-the-shelf products now in a way that we haven't before. Um, and it also, it's really important when you consider the data that's flowing through those products. So, you know, understanding if it's something that's purchased through just a commercial vendor, understanding where that data is pinging back to, you know, what are the terms and conditions that you're agreeing to before you're able to upload your software in and then deploy it out into the field, um, you know, to deliver a training syllabus or, or some sort of training program. It's not necessarily a new question but one that's um, always intrigued me, right? I mean, when Google Glass was coming out 
folks were doing sort of a rapid adoption of Google Glass, mm -hmm. right? I mean, how mm -hmm. could you use Google Glass, uh, whether you're doing flight line maintenance or otherwise, right? In terms of uh, being able to uh, put information uh, and, you know, of, of course, you could also use your cell phone and, and folks do that now, right? Where they're on a flight line and they're like, hey, to another maintainer somewhere else on the other side of the flight line, hey, look, man, this is what this looks like. What, what am I looking at here, uh, right? Um, that's advantageous, uh, but it could also be very problematic, right? Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. We're now looking at virtual reality headsets. Oculus Rift was at the front edge of that, but now Samsung is doing some tremendous work uh, in that field. Others are also emulating that. Each one of these companies is looking to have a secure ecosystems in their own right. But what's the challenge of melding that kind of commercial technology and making it secure as you're sort of trying to blend it in, right? And, and folks do this sometimes at the unit level, uh, right? I mean, so it's somewhat ad hoc about how this is all being built up depending on where you are. How do you ensure security in what's fluid? People are trying to grab innovation. They're trying to be as quick as they can. They're trying to be as efficient they can and innovative as they can. And yet each one of these is a potential seam that can be exploited. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you can enhance security, right? You can never really ensure it, but you can enhance security um, by doing the due diligence up front. So understanding if you wanted to deploy something across, um, I guess, cell phones or, or across the 3D headsets, like you mentioned, understanding which vendors are safe or which assets are safe, which models are safe, right? So then you have a pre-approved list or a pre-vetted list of assets that you can use to deploy those training tools. So that would be number one, right? Getting ahead of it so that you understand once we get this ready, we're going to deploy it. Because in the government, there's there's a little bit of a long lead time in the development of the software and those things. So you can afford a little extra time before you buy the hardware in which it's going to be deployed. Um, and then at the same time, nobody wants to be inexorably linked to a breach, right? So understanding, again, through those cyber tabletop exercises and understanding the, uh, the ecosystem and then continuously monitoring it, you can keep an eye on what assets are coming in and out, what vendors you're working with, and then where the data is flowing within that system. So what, it, what software are you deploying onto those systems? And um, if there's any vulnerabilities or anything that are being introduced that way, you can stay ahead of the threat and then manage it if, uh, if need be. We're now trying to uh, connect not just the simulated environment, right? So you've got the people in the simulators and there, there was an ability to do security, right? So that's a different security challenge. Whereas now we're saying, hey, we want operational units that are doing, um, you know, a one-on-one -on -one dogfight or any one of a number of other complex evolutions where folks are doing real world and connecting to those people who are in the back shop on simulators. What's the unique sort of security challenge that that poses, Um which is a different kind of a problem, right? Oh, for sure. And I, I think it's challenges, you know, it's plural. There's there's a multifaceted challenges within that. And if you take it down to each pillar, right? So you have the live, virtual and constructive entities. So with the live side, there's always gonna be the protection of the assets within the aircraft and making sure that you understand exactly what's going into that aircraft. I, you know, we spoke a few weeks ago about um, some program delivery that had to go on pause while they investigated their supply chain to make sure that nothing was being inserted and, and bringing in vulnerabilities into a system that they previously were unaware of. Um, on the virtual side, of course, you have the simulators and those are really costly investments and they take a long time to grow and develop. So you have simulators that have been modified or, or had change orders. So since they were brought into the system where they were maybe previously disconnected or only connected into the ecosystem within a certain way, now you've got additional um, parts and pieces and assets that are added onto them to enhance their connectivity or, or they have an IP address now where maybe they didn't 
So you want to make sure that all of not only the original legacy asset is captured and fully understood, but that the HBOMs reflect those change orders, that they reflect the modifications that the programs have made in order to keep those flight trainers at the cutting edge of, of that training system. And then finally, with the constructive entities um, or the constructive component, I guess I should say, of that training um, environment is making sure that the software that's deployed is completely vetted, that, that every line of code and the hashes are valid, valid and um, that what the vendor is saying that they're deploying into the system is exactly what's included in the software pack and making sure that the end users on the DOD side have the ability to um, apply patch updates, you know, that they're not waiting on um, some sort of approval from a higher level in order to update and secure their software. Um, Andrea, I want to get uh, back to uh, ITSEC, but as we record this, the DOD uh, has uh, released its Zero Trust uh, Strategy and Roadmap. I know that we've been uh, you know, expecting the department to come out with this. It's a, a multi-year, it's a five-year plan, I think, if I recall correctly, that by 2027, we want to make sure uh, that we go to a kind of a zero trust uh, mindset. Uh, just remind the audience for the handful of people who don't know, but um, there's always somebody new to the cyber ecosystem. Uh, you know, what is this? zero trust mindset and what basically a strategy like this means and why it's so important for the department and for industry and all of us actually, right? I mean, we're, we're only as strong as our weakest link, Andrea, aren't we? That's right. That's right. I mean, it's certainly a cliche for a reason. Um, and so the zero trust, I mean, it's going to go beyond or well beyond the uh, traditional defense models, right? And so it is exactly what it says it is. There's, there's no longer an assumption of trust or an assumption that the ecosystem is secure. It, essentially, at its at its most um, at the core, it's cleaning the slate and making sure that everything that is within that ecosystem is safe and secured and understood. And you can only do that through enhanced monitoring, um, really fully understanding what's in your ecosystem, so that you can understand what vulnerabilities may or may not be introduced. Um, and unfortunately, with the DoD, they don't have the luxury of being able to just shut it all down. Um, and, and start over, you know, start from that clean slate where they're just limiting entry and then rebuilding that ecosystem. Instead, what they're going to have to do is essentially build the plane while they're flying it. Uh, I want to go back uh, to Itzik uh, really quickly in the, in the time uh, we've got left. You uh, are going to be presenting twice uh, next week. So give us a sense on what people are going to hear and what you're going to be uh, addressing. I have the opportunity to present twice next week at ITSIC. Uh, both presentations will be on Wednesday, November 30th. Uh, the first one will be in the morning at the Innovation Showcase. And I'll be speaking about cyber resilient training systems through continuous cyber supply chain risk management. So that's going to be largely what we've discussed today and specifically how Fortress tools support cyber supply chain risk management and getting to the left of the threat. So really understanding what's within the supply chain and how to identify those vulnerabilities and then create remediation plans. And then uh, in the afternoon, I'll be speaking about cyber supply chain risk management again, um, but this time more about cyber table topping. And so understanding that ecosystem, mapping it out so that you understand all of the pieces, parts and components and software. So that way, if you do have a failure within the system, you don't have a critical failure, right? So what you wanna do is, it, it, is understand if something goes wrong, how do you recover as quickly as possible with as little downtime as possible, with as little risk as possible, um, you know, nobody wants to be inexorably linked to a breach, particularly if there's safety involved. And so having that holistic view of the cyber supply chain risk management ecosystem and the way that all of those parts coexist within the training components, 
uh, is critical to recovery. And then uh, when I'm not presenting, um, I'll be at booth 2289. So people can swing by the Fortress booth. We will be over by the Cyber Pavilion and, uh, you know, they can swing by and say hello and ask more detailed questions. You know, we are really proud that we can build custom solutions. But what that means is a lot of times there's custom questions. And so since no two uh, solutions are identical and no two challenges are unique, we like to have those conversations one-on-one so we can really build something um, meaningful and valuable to the customer. Uh, it is a pleasure, as always, Andrea, having you on the program. Thanks very much. I hope folks check you uh, check you guys uh, uh, out. And thanks so very much uh, for joining us. It's always a pleasure having you on. I uh, hope you have a great Thanksgiving, and I hope you break a leg next week. Thank you. Thank you. It's great chatting with you, and I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving as well. Thanks again.